0: This morning, it is our great privilege to have um, one of our own ministers and missionaries with us this morning. She is a missionary here with the Southern New England Ministry Network, and she uh, serves as the director or president of an interdenominational ministry called Alive in Christ here in New England. Uh, she has a testimony. She's going to share part of that story with us this morning as she brings God's word, but she specifically addresses uh, same-sex attraction and issues relating to gender dysphoria and the ministry Alive in Christ. And as we've gone through this summer series where we've been addressing issues in our lives and how the gospel applies to those issues, I think that you'll find her message fits right in line with some of the things that we've been talking about because she not only speaks to an issue and what we ought to think about it, but will help us to understand how does the gospel of Jesus, the call to follow Jesus, apply to this issue that we know is so common in our culture. And sometimes as Christians, we find ourselves struggling with, how do I think about this? How do I address it? How do I talk to people who are maybe struggling with these issues or think differently about them than I do? Maybe we find ourselves sometimes holding people at arm's length. Today, Brenna Simons is going to share with us how to address the love of God to them and how God's love does address those issues in our culture, in our lives, and in the church. And so would you join me in welcoming Brenna to Bethany Assembly of God?
1: Thanks, Pastor. It's awesome to be here with you today and I'm excited to share God's word with you and a little bit about myself and the ministry. So, Alive in Christ, you can go to my first slide there, is an interdenominational Christ-centered ministry offering hope to individuals, families and churches who are impacted by same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. So, we are interdenominational. I am ordained in the Assemblies of God. I've been part of the Assemblies of God since I became a Christian in 1999. But the ministry actually was founded at Park Street Church in downtown Boston. If you've ever been to the Boston Common, there's a big church right there, and that is Park Street Church. And we were founded in 1984 when I was nine, so I did not start the ministry, but it's, it has grown over time, and now we have seven people on our leadership team besides me, and we cover all different types of Protestant denominations, but we are Christ-centered, as our name would imply, because we believe Jesus is still in the business of changing lives. We are also discipleship and mentoring ministry. We serve both people who are experiencing same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria themselves as well as family members. And so as we personally grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, as we walk shoulder to shoulder with those on a similar journey with with us, whether we're experiencing same-sex attraction or other family members, and as we are mentored by those who are a little further down the road, we will progressively walk into the freedom that Jesus Christ died to give. We offer hope in a number of ways, including support groups. We have four support groups, and they all meet on Zoom, which means, even though I live two hours away, that is not a hindrance to you being involved if your life personally or the life of your family has been impacted by same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. We also love to come speak at churches like... Like I'm here now, we have a number of trainings. We actually presented a pastor's training here at some point in the past few years. And we have different trainings, general trainings and trainings for parents and educators on how to speak to uh, youth from a biblical perspective about LGBT issues. So, you can grab a business card out there. Also, I have some copies of my books. I have newsletters and other resources to just help you connect and become equipped. Uh, Let me tell you something about what we believe, because you might be wondering. We believe in the truth of God's word concerning sexuality, that God created sexual intimacy to be shared between one man and one woman who've committed to each other for a lifetime in marriage. We believe the promise of the gospel is whole life transformation, that Jesus came to change our lives and renew our minds. Now, the two scriptures that you see on your screen, John 10.10, 10, the John 10.10 10 is Jesus speaking. The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that we would have life and have it more abundantly till it overflows. And I especially love Romans 12, too because it was central to my journey And in the New Living Translation, the second half of that verse says, Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Amen. Now, now we believe same-sex attraction is not chosen, but is one of many kinds of temptations. So, experiencing same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria in in and of itself is not a sin. But we can sin in how we respond to that temptation. And we believe Jesus came to set us free, and all believers are called to be obedient to his word. Too often, we think of freedom as the absence of temptation. Now, in my church in Brockton, I live in Brockton, we have a teen challenge nearby, adult and teen challenge now they call it. How many people here are familiar with teen challenge? Yeah, so teen challenge is generally a drug and alcohol addiction ministry, right? And you might The guys come to church with us. You might go up to one of them and ask, you know, how long have you been sober? Meaning, how long have you been walking in obedience in this area of your life? However, often the question for people with same sex attraction, the question that we get is, when was the last time you experienced same sex attraction? So, not how long have you been walking in obedience, but when was the last time you were tempted? It's like there's a different measuring stick for our freedom, which is why we have this belief statement, because that mentality has been very discouraging to people in the church who still experience some level of same-sex attraction. So we know that Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin. So if we measure our freedom based on whether or not we still experience a particular temptation, then that means we expect to be more free than Jesus, who was tempted but did not sin. Now, it's a little complicated. I, I wrote a book called Learning to Walk in Freedom. That's on the table with the other resources I mentioned. It really goes into more detail about that concept. And also, it's explained a little bit on our website, too, which if you grab a business card, you can head on over to our website as well. I, I'm, I love to interact with, with folks when I speak. So I will be asking you questions. Um, if you were planning on taking a nap, well, there's enough of you here that I might not notice, but I won't make you all answer, but I would love it for some of you to answer. So here's my first question. How many of you remember your first crush? The first time you had a crush. There's some hands like shot up. Wow, you people are ready to go. You had your coffee this morning. Okay, who wants to share? Who wants to share how old you were? Just yell it out. 4th grade. Fourth grade. Grade. First grade, go girl! <laughs> second grade, second grade. Fifth grade. Fifth grade, fifth grade. Wow, some of you were doing math out there because you're like, "Well, I was 13. Which grade was I in?" Now, <laughs> all right, all right. Next question: How many of you, uh, how old were you when you first fell in love? I should say, no one's been in love. No, <laughs> your your spouse sitting next to you is wondering why you're not answering the question. 17, 18, <laughs> okay, okay, we got a lot of teenagers falling in love, that's, well, that maybe is good, was it good? So, no, some of you are like, <laughs> no, no, that was a bad decision, all right, well, <laughs> I was 15 when I first first fell in love, I did not have the easiest Upbringing. I don't know. Does anyone have an easy upbringing? Maybe some of you had really good upbrings, but I mean, my, my, I say this as a joke, but it's true. My life started off so rough that I was actually born so early that my parents were on a business trip. I'm not even joking. I was like two months early. They were on a business trip in the middle of nowhere. They told my mother I had a 50% chance of surviving the ambulance ride to the hospital because. There were no uh, facilities for premature babies there. And then they wouldn't let her get in the ambulance. The poor woman. Yes, awful, right? Someone else has my life over there. Um, <laughs> so two months in an incubator. Uh, I survived, you know, as you can tell. And over time, unfortunately, my mother became and still is an alcoholic. My father worked long hours to provide for his family. And as a young child, I made friends Easily enough, but then middle school came—or where I'm from, we called it junior high. Seventh grade—I don't know what happened between the sum you know, between sixth and seventh grade over the summer. But apparently, I had some kind of Pinocchio experience because they started calling me Snuffleupagus. Who, who, who here knows who Snuffleupagus is? He was an, a bully mammoth. Like an elephant, basically, except an extinct elephant. I think he was a woolly mammoth. I really need to Google that. On Sesame Street, who obviously had a big nose. Now, everyone, this is my nose. No one would accuse me of having a small nose. But it's not like, oh, I have to recoil in horror because look at that person's nose. You know, it's just kids can be mean. You know, kids who I literally went to their... House over the summer, we're now like, "Mm, look at her jeans. She doesn't have guest jeans. Now I'm really dating myself. We also wore those like wrapper pants and stuff. I didn't have those either. What were they called? Like chest something? Has anyone here, am I preaching to anybody here? Is anybody here in their late 40s? Yes, him in the blue. Okay. (laughs) What were they called? Oh, yeah, parachute pants. I mean, I, yes, I'm so glad some of those things did not come back in style, but I've been seeing acid-washed things all over the place. People, those didn't look good in the first place. Sorry if anybody here is wearing acid-washed jeans. But, but anyway, it was just like some switch went off, and now I wasn't cool. And I can laugh about it now because, you know, I'm 35 years removed from it. But back then, it was very painful. And because I, I was already struggling with issues of my identity and my worth... The bullying I experienced solidified things that I was already feeling, that I was uniquely flawed, unlovable, and worthy of rejection. Well, I felt like this changed when at 15 I fell in love. I felt known, like, like I had arrived, like someone really accepted me. There was just a little problem I fell in love with my best friend, who was female. She still is female, actually. (laughs) She was female then and is female now. And now, okay, so I already told you I'm 48. This was a very different time. I like to say I came out seven years before Ellen DeGeneres. And we can't imagine a world where a lesbian can't have a talk show, you know? But I didn't have anywhere to go to to turn and look for answers. So I looked in this book, and the book said that if you experience same-sex attraction, and especially if you act on it, which I had, then you're gay. And I remember thinking, looking at this book, there it is, in black and white, I'm gay. It seemed that I had no choice but to accept this part of myself. And as the years went by, the more I read, the more I met other people like me, the more the message became ingrained. This is who you are. You were born this way. You have to completely accept this part of yourself, or you will never be happy. And I believed that that must be true. So for 10 years, I built my life around being gay. There is a young man in scripture who also felt he had no choice but to build his life upon the script he had been given and the set of circumstances he had been given. Plus, what it seemed he was called to was so highly regarded in that society. Why would he even consider choosing another path? We find this young man in Mark 10. Uh, It's going to be on the screen if you don't have a copy of God's word, but let's pray as we look to the scripture. God, I always start this prayer by saying, as we look to your word, let your word look to us. Let this not just be an exercise to check off our list today, read the Bible, sang some songs, prayed, but let us believe that your spirit, who is truth, will guide us into all truth, that your word is living and active And that not only do you want to speak to us today, you want to change us to impact the world for your kingdom and your gospel, Lord God. So we come before you with open hearts, trusting you to do that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're in Mark 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way... now, obviously, this young man's story differs a little bit from mine, and we will find some parallels as we go on today. But as we, as we begin to engage with this story, I want to talk about people who identify as LGBT. Now, that stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. The statistics and the quotes I will share are from a book called Us Versus Us by Andrew Marin. He did a study gathering the information between 2007 and 2013, published in 2014, to find out about LGBT people's experience of faith. So I just want to say up front, I don't agree with every conclusion that the author comes to, though he is a Christian, Um, but the information is very eye-opening and at times heartbreaking. So let's, let's talk about some of these statistics before we engage with the text a little more. So the general American population and the LGBT community were asked this question. How many of you were raised going to a community of faith on a weekly basis from age 0 to 18? And this is a nationwide study. So here in unchurched New England, excuse me, if we took the survey just here, the numbers might be different. But what we're looking at is the difference between the general American population I'm the LGBT community. So what percentage of the general American population nationwide do you think was raised in a community of faith? This would be people who are at this point probably in their late 20s all the way up as far as it goes. What do you think? 80%. They're all mumbling or speaking in tongues out there. Okay. The number is actually 75. Did someone say 75? There you go. Did you read the book? No, I'm just kidding. 75%. Now, do you think the number is higher or lower for LGBT people? Oh, we're kind of split. Well, the number is higher. It's 86%. So 86, they're like keeping score back there. There will be six total statistics. You guys can like win a prize at the end. I don't know what the prize is. You can have a copy of my book for whoever gets the most right or is the closest. Yeah, 86%. So LGBT people were raised going to communities of faith on a weekly basis from age 0 to 18 at a higher rate than the general American population. Some of you do not look surprised at all, and some of you look very surprised. And I think that's why this author, Andrew Morin, did this study. Another question, what percentage of the general American population do you think leaves their communities of faith at some point after age 18? Now, remember, this is all faiths, not just Christian, but all faiths. What do you think this number is? 65? 50%? Someone said 20-something. It's 27%. See, there you go. Good. This, this section is winning, if this were a competition, um, 27%. So that might seem low. Uh, you know, oftentimes in the church, we hear statistics like a lot of kids will leave the, their Christian faith by age 19. Now, I want to know how old those statistics are, because I've been hearing the same ones for like decades. But this is what the number is for the purpose of this study. Do you think the number is higher or lower for people who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender? Yeah. That is true. It's double. 54%. So LGBT people are leaving their communities of faith at double the rate of the general American population. Now one reason I share this is I try and live by this saying which is seek first to understand. We can't We will struggle to share the gospel with certain groups of people unless we first are willing to put ourselves in their shoes and understand their experience more than we have. Now, some of you were surprised by some of these numbers and some of you weren't. So that's the beginning of of seeking first to understand is entering into that experience. So if we return to the rich young ruler, we notice that he ran up to Jesus. This wasn't like, oh, I'm casually strolling by like Zacchaeus, who had to climb a tree because he was short, right? I know there's some kind of... I wasn't raised in church, so I don't know the Sunday school song, but oftentimes people will sing the Sunday school song to me when I bring up Zacchaeus. But um, he was short, he had to climb the tree, and that seems more like a moment of opportunity. No, this young man, who we colloquially call the rich young ruler or the rich young man often... I wonder if he, again, putting myself in his shoes, trying to imagine his experience, I wonder if he heard that Jesus was in town and just had to see him. Like, I can't help but wonder if there was already a stirring in his heart that how he was living, what he was experiencing, wasn't all there was to life. He had a question he desperately needed the answer to, and he thought perhaps Jesus could answer it. Now, it says a little further along in this story that Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Jerusalem. In fact, in in Luke's account, it says they were, Jesus set out resolutely toward Jerusalem. Now, why do you think he might be going to Jerusalem? Just a guess, people. Come on. You're not being being scored on this. (laughs) Now, I didn't hear any of what... (laughs) Maybe one of you said this, but he was going there to die. First, he he would celebrate the Passover because that had to be done in Jerusalem, right? And right after that, the Passover, which was also the Last Supper, he was going to die. But even though he was a man on a mission and he knew what he had to do and where he had to go, he took the time to pause and stop. Not only pause, but... Look into this young man's eyes and love him. That's what Mark records. So with this undercurrent of Jesus' deep love, we learn four things. The first one is our identity matters to God. Our identity matters to God. Are there certain things about you with which you identify? Like I've had my nose pierced for over 30 years. I know most women do that in their 40s as like a... I don't know what happens when women turn 40. They just pierce their nose. But I pierced my nose with a safety pin when I was a teen. Yes, and I'm not that brave anymore. That's what I do thinking about it now. I gasp. What was I thinking? But like, it feels like part of me that my, that my nose is pierced. And there's other things with which we identify, right? I went to a music school which at the time was one of the top three music schools in the country. Now, don't be impressed. I have a degree in singing. There were like 250 of us or something. But there were people who played the clarinet or something like that, and there were only 10 of them. And while at school, they would become a Christian. And God would start stirring their heart that maybe they were called to do something else. Now, for at least a decade, if not much longer, of their life, they had been practicing this instrument for four to six hours a day, being the best of the best, knowing that when they graduated they could get an orchestra job. This culture is probably foreign to many of you, but maybe not all. Maybe you went to Harvard Law, and you knew you could be a lawyer, but God said, "Maybe. what if I have something else for you? Is there something about you that is so ingrained in who you are that you can't imagine being you without it? Now, identity is a question that's on the forefront of people's hearts today. I mean, you could at my table, one of the newsletters has the genderbred person on it. Kids are be giving this genderbred person and saying, What are your pronouns? How do you identify? Who are you romantically attracted to? Who are you emotionally attracted to? Who are you sexually attracted to? But it's not just the world that's asking these questions. It's Christians. In fact, I sat down to read the Bible a few weeks ago, right before I was going to come speak at a church, and I wanted to check the weather (laughs) because I spoke at a church not that long ago, and I didn't check the weather, and I was staying in a hotel... The night before, and I didn't bring my raincoat, and it poured. I mean, poured. So now I check the weather. So I was checking the weather, and if I swipe on my phone, the weather comes up, and so does the Bible verse of the day from the Bible app. Maybe that. Yeah, some of you are nodding. So I, whatever the verse was, which I've now forgotten, I clicked on it because oh, I, I like that verse. I'm going to click and read that verse. And right underneath the verse of the day was recommended or featured. Bible plans. And these were some of them. I'm going to put them on the screen. Known. Ten days to discovering your identity. Next. Who am I? The next one. Who am I really? <laughs> it's like, not funny. It struck me as so funny. They're just competing, I guess. Renamed. Embracing your new identity in Christ. And one more. Living changed. Embracing identity. That's all I could fit on the screen. But six out of the first ten were directly related to identity. These are the questions that people, as Christians especially, are wrestling with, that I wrestled with. I know when I began to walk in obedience to Jesus in the area of my sexuality, I didn't know who I was anymore. And it didn't help that my struggle with same-sex attraction was like a swarm of killer bees that I thought was going to engulf me. In fact, I felt like I had to run from it Or I didn't know what would happen. And at a certain point, I say I realized, but I think God reminded me that I wasn't meant to be running from something. I was meant to be running to someone. The only one who could define my identity. Sam Albury, who wrote a book called Is God Anti-Gay, who also experiences same-sex attraction, said this. When you encounter Jesus Christ... You are no longer defined by who you love. You are now defined by who has loved you. So, the first thing we learn is our identity matters to God. The second thing is we can choose to trust God. Trust is a choice. It's a hard choice because we live in a culture that says we must have certain things in order to be happy things like a house, a good job a romantic relationship <laughs> or some well-behaved kids throwing throwing in some well-behaved kids would be nice too right <laughs> that's what the world tells us and at some point someone had lied to this young man in the story in mark 10 and said that in order to be happy he must have his wealth clearly he couldn't imagine his life without it someone told me a different lie you were born gay I was told that not only would I not be happy if I didn't embrace a gay identity, I would probably end up suicidal and maybe dead. Now, right before this story in the Gospel of Mark is the story of the little children coming to Jesus. You may be familiar with it. The parents were bringing their kids to Jesus and the disciples were trying to shoo them away. And what does Jesus say? He says this verse that's on the screen. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, little kids naturally trust. They naturally trust. In fact, if you've ever brought a baby home from the hospital, maybe you have nieces and nephews and you've seen this phenomenon, this is a conversation you never have to have with a baby. Okay, baby, we need to have a serious talk. I just need you to know that if you need anything, cry. If you are cold, because of course they've spent nine months in a warm swimming pool, basically, if you're cold, cry, if you're uncomfortable, cry, if you're tired, cry, if you need something to eat, cry, if you have a messy diaper, cry, and someone will come and take care of you. You don't have to tell them that. They naturally trust that their voice will be heard. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus talks about the blind trust of a child right before he encounters the rich young man. After Jesus' answer, this young man wasn't quite as eager to seek Jesus. After running up to him and falling at his feet, he didn't trust that no matter what Jesus required of him, he would be okay because God is trustworthy. Most would say wealth is a gray area in scripture. It's not a sin to have money. Idolatry, however, is a sin. And we assume from the context of this story that whatever business plan or, you know, profit divide margins this young man had, he wanted to continue following his plan no matter what the cost. God's design for sexuality is clear in the Bible as I stated before, that God created sexual intimacy to be expressed between one man and one woman who've committed to each other for a lifetime in marriage. However, if we're being honest, that seems unfair to people with same-sex attraction. It seemed unfair to me. In fact, so much so that I had another lesbian relationship after I became a Christian. It was as if I had Jesus in one hand, who I knew had changed my life in many ways, but was still unknown territory. And the fear of the unknown is a very powerful force. And on the other hand, I had my sexuality, my lesbianism, with its comfort, familiarity, and safety, and what I thought was my only chance at true love. I read a devotional last year called Experiencing God Day by Day by the Blackabees, and they said this Don't discount the power of God as described in Scripture simply because you have not experienced it. Bring your experience up to the standard of Scripture. Never reduce Scripture to the level of your experience. When my kids would complain about something, you know, I set a boundary or whatever and say, It's not fair. I would kind of tongue-in-cheek say, the cross isn't fair. Everything else kind of pales in comparison, you know? But it's true. And at a certain point, I came to realize that if Jesus would do that for me, if he would die on the cross for me, my questions of fairness dissipated in comparison. And I had to start taking him at his word and believing he is who he says he is, and he will do what he has said he will do. That if he said in his word, identifying as a lesbian and being in a lesbian relationship was not his best for me, I had to trust that he wasn't withholding love and fulfillment from me with that design. That somehow it would all work out. He would work it all out. That if I remained single, He would be enough. And if I married, he would still be enough. But that real love could be found in Jesus Christ. So the second thing, choose to trust God. Third, there is a reward. Now, you can always count on Peter to jump in and say the thing that the other disciples are thinking but maybe are afraid to ask, right? So Peter stays true to his character in this story, and he jumps right in. Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. The disciples are getting really excited. Jesus continues, along with persecutions. And in the age to come eternal life. Now, society had lied to me, really lied to all of us, and told us in order to feel complete, in order to live a fulfilling life, we needed to be in a marriage or committed relationship. That romantic love is the end-all, be-all. Jesus is saying, no matter what you've had to leave behind to follow me, God sees your sacrifice does not go unnoticed. So my last girlfriend ended that relationship, and I decided that was it. I was going to be obedient in the area of my sexuality, no matter what the cost, even if it cost me everything, including what I thought was the only possibility of being married, because I thought marrying a woman was my only option. Now, I already let the cat out of the bag. You already know that I am married to a man, because I mentioned my husband and my children, and I have a picture. So that's my husband, Roy, with the red glasses on. Um, That's my oldest son, Nathaniel, uh, with the sunglasses. He's almost 16. JJ, who doesn't look as tall. Now he's like three inches taller than me. Uh, He just shoots up growing taller and taller. Um, JJ's 13, and Maggie in the front is 8. 8. And that's us on the beach on New Year's Day. We just happened to go to the beach. We did not jump in the water like all the crazy people. I was like, what are, why are all these people wearing swimsuits? They're like jumping in the water and stuff. It's like 20 degrees out. But anyway, that's my beautiful family. Yay, yes, amen. <laughs> Here's the thing. I still experience same-sex attraction at times I like to describe it that the swarm of killer bees is now like an occasional fruit fly. And I like the fruit fly or the gnat analogy because you know when something little just flies near your head and you just swat it away, like without even thinking about it? That's what same-sex attraction is to me today, you know? But there was no guarantee of any of that when I surrendered fully to him when I trusted Jesus at his word, that there would be a reward. Even though, we, when we think of reward, we think of something tangible, like my neighbor, my poor neighbor down the street, her cat disappeared like three weeks ago. She loves her animals, and she put up flyers, like $500 reward. We often think of rewards like that, but sometimes the reward we get from following Jesus is peace that surpasses all understanding. <laughs> right? Right? Sometimes the reward is knowing that we have Jesus to cling to and care for care for us. Um, so that's the third thing. There's a reward. And the last thing we learn from the story is how to love people because Jesus loves people. Jesus loves people. And in this story of the rich young man, there's this beautiful moment where before Jesus answered, before the Son of God put his finger on that thing in this man's life that kept God from being number one. Jesus looked at him, and again, putting myself in their shoes, I imagine this deep pause as Jesus looks at him and loves him and prepares to answer, hoping that this man will, he, will experience that love and that love will speak louder than any words Jesus speaks to him, right? Right? And this ties back into those statistics. So you have two more chances. If you've failed miserably so far, your statistic guessing, you still have two more tries, all right? I'm just joking with you all. Um, what percentage of the general American population, those who left, do you think are open to returning to their communities of faith? Did you say three? Oh, 30. Three is closer, actually, because it's 9%. Nine percent. Such a sad number. Do you think the number is, well, it doesn't let you off the hook, first of all, from inviting people to church. Well, only nine percent are interested in returning. Well, you can keep loving on them, and maybe that number will change. But what do you think the number is higher or lower for LGBT people? Higher? Higher? Much higher. 76 percent. And when they were asked what it would take for them to return, the number one answer was feeling loved. Now, let me tell you what that means in their own words. Tasha, a 21-year-old lesbian, says this, If you let any church people read this, tell them I don't have to be right to feel loved. I have to be dignified in our disagreement. The way people disagree on social media, you would think that's not even possible, right? But from her own lips. And Kim, a 42-year-old lesbian living in Jackson, Mississippi, said this, I hear God's love is the great equalizer. It's hard to believe it when I've never been told God loves me. I think God loves me, but when I tried going to church a few years back, I sure didn't feel it. I think they're scared I'm going to cause problems because we might not agree. I don't care about that. I want God's love to bring me into the fold like it does with everyone else. Now we're going to go to prayer now. So if you would just close your eyes and bow your heads. You've been hearing me up here talk about God's love over and over and over again. And maybe like the rich young man, there is a stirring in your heart that you have not fully experienced that love. So I'm gonna pray two different prayers. First, we never wanna walk out of this place without giving people who have not confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior an opportunity to do so. So if you are here today, I, I need you to know that in John 3.16 it says that God so loved you that he gave his only, not his extra or his spare, but his only son. It says begotten son, which means a son birthed from him as opposed to adopted. He gave his only son that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. If today you feel this is the day, Jesus, thank you for loving me. This is the day that I want to receive the forgiveness of sins, that I want to lay my life down so that I can have the life you came to give. Please raise your hand so I can pray for you. I see your hand. Jesus, we just pray together. I pray with this, this person who just raised her hand. Lord, thank you that you give us the opportunity for a fresh start. I remember that moment in my life when I so desperately wanted to a fresh start, a slate wiped clean by the blood of Christ. And God, we thank you that today you have forgiven her of her sins and she has an opportunity for new life, a life that overflows in you. I also want to pray for people who struggle to receive the love of Christ who struggle to believe that even in the midst of continually messing up or whatever it is, that Jesus loves you. Not only loves you, but cherishes you. I want to give you an opportunity to receive prayer. If the um, deacons, the prayer team, any pastors that are here could come forward to pray for people, we're going to pray for you. Jesus said we love because he first loved us, which means we need to, as Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, to know that love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I would love to pray for you or have someone pray for you up here. Thank you.
0: pastors and deacons, deaconesses, you can come, prayer partners, if you can come, prepare to pray with people. If you're struggling with knowing and understanding God's love in your life, whether it's for the purpose that Bryna addressed specifically today because of sexual identity, um, same-sex attraction, or it's because of something else, maybe there's some other uh, idol in your life that God is calling you to lay down this morning, I want to encourage you as we prepare to close the service that before you leave, you'd come and you would you would know the love of Christ and lay that down. Jesus calls you to follow him. He'll supply what you need as you do that, as you heard from Brenna's testimony today. And he will give you his love, which will replace what you fear you will lose by giving up what he's calling you to give up to follow him. And so today, if, you're, if you've are if you got that, that struggle in your life that was addressed specifically, or you've got some other need to know and to follow the love of Christ that you've not laid down, Uh, You've got something else that has hindered you from that walk and you want to come and and meet Jesus today. I want to encourage you that instead of walking out, that you'd come. Also, if you you committed your life to Christ this morning, you raised your hand and said, I want to know Jesus. Would you come and and pray with us as well? We'd love to pray with you and help you to know where to go from here. We're going to close in prayer. And when I close... Please go respectfully and those who would like prayer and to receive that prayer, would you come forward so that we can pray with you? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for the grace you've given us and we thank you, Lord, that you call us to follow you. Father, we need your strength to do that because we know that in our own power we are unable and Father, we also know that there are many things that we've believed that define us in our lives that you call us to give up and Lord, whatever that is,